So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about hope. I hope that I hope that prepared you to talk about hope. But let me just back up for a second and think about Advent again. This is the first Sunday of Advent. We had our traditional candle lighting ceremony. We had our Advent video. So I just want to make sure everybody's here. I think we've got it. But what is Advent? What is Advent? This is last week we had like 22 questions. This is I think we only have two this week. So what is Advent? The coming, the coming, and for us as, as believers, it's the coming of Christ. Advent is the celebration of Christ's coming. And we celebrate His coming. You know, we might, we might have one of the celebrations, but I want us to think about celebrating Christ's coming in three distinct ways or in three distinct times. First, Advent is a celebration and a, and a commemoration, a remembrance of his coming in the past. This is what we usually think of when we talk about Christ's coming. This is, why, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is the historical entry in, of God into our world. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the uh, theological term, the incarnation. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke describe his coming in some detail. These are the Christmas stories. And in Luke Chapter 2, verse 7, we read a, a, a simple description of Christ's coming in the past. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. We know the, the story. This is the Christmas story, the nativity. So first, Advent celebrates this, this historical coming of Christ into our world in the past. Second... And you'll see this is out of order, but, but I want to leave the, the best for last. We celebrate and look forward to His coming in the future. Advent looks ahead. Advent is an anticipation of the second coming of Christ. We call it even the second Advent. In Matthew twenty four twenty seven, Jesus promised His disciples, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man, and he's speaking of his second coming, his coming again. One day Christ will come again. So Advent refers to Jesus' first coming, Christmas, to his second coming, the past and the future. But Advent is more than a, a past event to commemorate or a future event to anticipate because Jesus offers to come to us now. So third, we celebrate his coming in the present. Jesus offers to come to us today. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, uh, famous for being lukewarm, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, I will come into him. I will, I will come into you. I will eat with you. I will have fellowship with you. I will, at this moment, enter into relationship with you. So Advent is the celebration and commemoration of Christ coming into our world in the flesh, in the past. Advent is the celebration and anticipation of Christ coming into our world again in the future. And Advent is the celebration that we can experience Christ's coming into our lives 
in the present, now. So over the next four weeks, we're going to celebrate Advent. We're going to celebrate Christ's coming together as a church. And, at, and, and by celebrate, we mean more than parties and balloons and jumping for joy when your team wins the big game. Those things are great, but the celebration we're going to have involves giving praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate Him. We're going to celebrate His advent, His coming. So beginning this Sunday and for the next three Sundays, that's four, we'll be celebrating the coming of Christ. And each week to guide us in our celebration, to help us celebrate, we're going to focus on the themes of Advent. These are the traditional, historical themes of Advent. Those themes are hope, peace, joy, and love. These are the themes of Advent because when Christ comes, He brings true hope. He brings true peace. He brings true joy. And He brings true love into our lives. Or put another way, the coming of Christ is the coming of hope, the coming of peace, the coming of joy, and the coming of love. So that's what we look forward to this week and over the next three weeks. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, and I hope you're able to join us on Christmas Eve, we'll come together to celebrate one final time as we light the the center candle. Denise, thanks for shifting over. As we light that center candle, representing Christ, representing His presence among us, the culmination will come on Christmas Eve. So on this, the first Sunday of Advent, we celebrate the coming of hope. So second question today, what is hope? What is hope? And uh, you don't have to answer, because I got, I got stuff for you. Hope is an interesting word. Today, we tend to use the word hope to express our desires, our wishes. It's kind of like a, the genie. I hope, uh, you know, I hope I get this. We saw some of that even in the video, didn't we? I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I hope there's no homework over Christmas break. I hope Grandma is okay. And it's fine to hope in this way, to have wishes and dreams and desires, but this is not the way the word hope is used in Scripture. According to the Hebrew, that's the Old Testament way it's used, and the Greek, that's the New Testament way it's used, the word hope is an indication of certainty. Certainty. Hope in Scripture means a strong and confident expectation. It has to do with expectation, the future. It isn't, hasn't arrived yet. It's something you're looking for, but it's strong and it's confident. We find this kind of hope throughout the Psalms. We could read lots of Psalms with that kind of hope. But just one example, in Psalm 119, 166, the author writes, I hope, uh, just think of that, I am confident. I hope for your salvation, O Lord. Hope in Scripture doesn't mean we wish something will happen. It means we trust that something will happen. We expect it to happen. We, we saw that in the video as well. The final words were, God, we put our hope in you alone. This is not a wish. This is not a, a, a desire. Well, it is a desire, but it's not a, a, a wishful thinking. It's a confident statement of, of us putting our trust in the Lord. Now, if hope isn't just something we want or desire or wish for, but instead it's something that we have a strong and confident expectation of, then there has to be a basis for our hope, doesn't there? There has to be something we are founding our hope on, some reason to hope. We can't just hope for things. 
I can't have a strong and confident expectation that I'm going to win the lottery. Because first of all, you have to play to win. And second, even if I did play, the odds are not in my favor. There's no basis for me to hope I'll win the lottery. I had a little bit of hope Thanksgiving morning as the Dallas Cowboys were going to play football. I had a little bit of hope that... uh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Okay. I had a little bit of hope because their division is terrible. The best record's five and hot five. I had a little bit of hope that they could win out the games. Tony Romo's back. My hope was dashed. They got killed and Romo was injured again. So I have no hope in the Cowboys. On the other hand, I can have hope. I can have a strong, confident expectation. For example, that my wife will continue to love me. Because there's a basis for that hope. She's loved me for over 30 years. I think. I think at least 29 of the 30. Okay, that one. She's, she tells me she still loves me. And she demonstrates love to me. I was, I was kind of sick. I think a lot of... Who was, who's been sick recently? Let's show hands. I, I was sick uh, last week. Pretty, pretty bad. Worst I've been sick in a long time. And my wife made me chicken noodle soup a couple times and cared for me. So she demonstrates her love for me. So I can say with a strong, confident expectation that she will continue to love me in the future. Hope must have a basis in reality, in something or someone that we can trust. I trust my wife, so I have a sure hope that she will continue to love me. Now the hope we're speaking of today is uh, on this first Sunday of Advent is a strong, confident expectation in Jesus Christ. In his coming, in what his coming has, and what his coming will accomplish in our lives and in our world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who came in the past to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a payment for the sins of many. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who comes into our life today providing salvation and transformation. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who will come again to set all things right, and to call His people unto Himself for all eternity. And our hope is based in something that's even more trustworthy than my wife. Our hope is based in the Word of God, in God's Word. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance, and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Paul's speaking of what was written in the, in the Old Testament. The words of the Old Testament were written that we might have hope, a strong and, and confident expectation, that Israel might have a strong and confident expectation of the coming of their Messiah. God's Word gives us hope as we, we, we read what He's done in the past, as we see the fulfillment of His prophecy and His promises. We, through endurance and in, through encouragement of the Scriptures, have hope for the present and hope for our future. Our hope is based on the promises of God's Word, on who God is, and and that He's he's chosen to reveal Himself in His Word. And for Advent, these promises have to do with the coming of Christ. The Old Testament has many prophecies, many promises of of the coming Messiah. The The first one of these comes shortly after the fall. You guys have heard of the fall? It was a bad day. The fall, 
The promise comes in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, just to give a little context, let's begin, let's look at it, uh, back up a little bit into verse 9 of Genesis chapter 3. This takes place right after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God for the very first time, the fall. Sin has entered in. And we read in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 3, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see Adam and Eve experiencing fear because of their disobedience. They're feeling the reality of their sin is is pressing in upon them. Their relationship with God has been broken. Up until this point, they had been in fellowship with God. They had walked with God in the garden. But now they run and hide. They're afraid. They have no more relationship. And when confronted, they make excuses for their sin. Continuing in verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve are in a horrible, horrible situation. They, in a matter of moments, in the blink of an eye, have gone from walking with, with their Creator, their loving Heavenly Father God, to running, to running from Him. They, they're confused and disoriented and desperate. But God is not surprised. And God is ready, even in this tragedy, to give hope. And in verse 15, God says to the serpent... Adam and Eve are listening. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent has tempted the woman and God will judge the serpent. But that judgment will come through a man, through the offspring of the woman. Yes, this is a somewhat veiled promise. It's, it's a little bit obscure in some ways of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. I don't think Adam and Eve at this moment understood the full impact of what God was promising. But he's giving them hope. Hope of one who would deal with the serpent, this wretched beast that had tempted them into sin. One who would conquer the sin that, that they've just unleashed. The sin that they are now experiencing the consequences of. The consequences of of moving from a loving relationship with their God to, to fear. Immediately after the fall, Adam and Eve, and therefore all humanity, was put into a hopeless state of existence. We were corrupted by sin and therefore had no way of saving ourselves. God would have to intervene. And throughout the Old Testament, especially the prophets, especially the prophet Isaiah, we find words of hope. Words that assured God's people that one day a Savior, a Messiah, an anointed one of God would come. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. The people who walked in darkness, this is the, the, the hopeless state, have seen a great light. Something's going to change. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. These and, and other promises in the Old Testament gave hope to the children of Israel. And now as we read the New Testament, as we read the Gospels, as we read the story of Jesus' coming into our world, we see the fulfillment of these promises in Christ and we can be filled with more hope. The promise of the Messiah has, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Word of God proclaims that Christ has come, that Christ continues to come, and that Christ will come again. And that gives us hope. Without the Word, though, the Word of God, there would be no basis for this hope. But even with the Word, not everyone hopes in Christ. That brings us to our second point. Hope is available to the needy. To the needy. Or should I, should, or should I say, hope is available to those who realize, who see, and are confronted by their own personal need. Before we can hope for a Savior, that's what we're hoping for in Christ. He's our Savior. Before we can hope for a Savior, we have to understand our need. If someone does not know they're in need, then they won't be looking for one to save them, to help them. Then they'll have no reason to hope in that promise of a Savior. This became very clear to me when I, when I was a missionary in Thailand, especially at Christmas time. Christmas isn't a, a, a national holiday in Thailand, and most Thai people don't know what it's really about. But they're curious. So for us, the Christmas season was always an opportunity to share the gospel. People are interested. What's this all about? And so one year at Christmas, uh, our team, our missions team, decided to put on a nativity play as an outreach and invite the community, invite the people around to the church to see this, this play about Jesus, about Christmas. And I was charged with uh, writing the play. Thank you very much. Okay. So I, I wrote it in, interesting side note, I wrote it in English, and then uh, with help of some Thai people, it was translated into Thai, and they actually translated it into Thai poetry, and it was really a beautiful thing, but that's not the point. So I was charged with writing the play, and as I began to write of Jesus' birth, it suddenly dawned on me that I was starting the play in the second act. I was starting the play with the entrance of the hero. But I had not established the need for a hero. The need for the hero to be there. What was the need? Why did the Savior have to come? So I backed up and wrote the first act. And the first uh, act starred, starred Adam and Eve. I showed the initial loving relationship that existed between God and man. I showed the fall, the break in that relationship between God, between Adam, between Eve, and I showed that humanity by ourselves are without hope. Then and only then did it make sense to introduce the Savior. Once the need is seen, then we can give hope that a Savior will come. Until we truly understand our need for a Savior, until we truly understand our sinful rebellion against God, harsh words, until we come to terms with our own terrible situation. We, without Christ, are in that same terrible situation that Adam and Eve were at the fall. We can't experience hope. We won't be looking for it. The promises of God to save us from our sin are meaningless until we acknowledge our sinfulness. 
We won't experience hope until we understand our hopelessness. So we have to establish the fact that without Christ, our situation is hopeless. We must establish our need. We've already seen the effects of the fall in the lives of Adam and Eve. Those come to us. The power of sin was unleashed into our world. And, it brought, and, and we see it all around us. And we see it within us. And it brought this horrible consequence of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And the consequences continues to haunt the children of Adam, you and I. 1 Corinthians 15.22, the Apostle Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, sin and death are our inheritance from our parents, Adam and Eve. We're born into sin and we prove the fact that we are sinners by our own actions. I know it's not popular to talk about sin. It's not, you know... It's not the end thing. But, uh, but we need to understand just how sinful slash needy you are. You're needy because you're sinful. I'm needy because I'm sinful. Just how incapable we are of standing before a holy God. Our problem is we think we're okay because you know what we do? We look around. We look around this room and other rooms and we compare ourselves. We're not so bad. There's always someone worse than us. I mean, if need be, we can always go to Hitler, the standard, oh, I'm not as bad as him. But we need to understand that God doesn't grade on a curve. God's standard is not the average of all people who've ever lived, how well they've done. God's standard is complete and total obedience or holiness. So before we go on, let me encourage you by showing you how we fail to live up to God's holy standard. Just in one simple way. Let's just look at one command in, in the Bible. Just, just one. There's lots of them. Just one command. And it, this is the one that Jesus called the greatest commandment. So it's a, it's a tough one, but, but it's only one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let that sink in for just a sec. We're commanded to love God. We're commanded to love God with everything we have. With our mind, our will, and yes, even our emotions. But there's a problem. I know the problem. I've experienced the problem. I experience the problem all the time. We, I, all of us, love other things more than we love God. First on the list is ourselves. You know? We love our kids. We love our wives and our spouse, our husbands, our our stuff. Some of which are good to love, but we love them more than God. And this is sin. To dishonor God by preferring other things more than Him is sin. Just a bad analogy. Let me give you a bad... I know it's bad, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, think about in your life, in your home, if you have a pet. You know, you love your pet, and it's okay to love your pet. It's okay to care for your pet and love them and feed them and stuff. But suppose you loved your pet more than you loved your spouse. That would not go over well. That would not be a... a, a compare that. That's sort of how we do something. When we love other things more than 
God, it's like we're loving our pet instead of our spouse. Okay, that's the best I could do, sorry. But we've done it, and we continue to do it. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, can say with confidence, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's glory. We fall short of glorifying God as He deserves. We glorify Him and praise Him uh, and, and love Him. We don't glorify Him and praise Him and, and love Him as much as we should. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. John Piper puts it this way. Sin is not, a, is not small because it's against God. The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. The creator of the universe is infinitely worth, worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty. Therefore, failure to love him is not trivial, it is treason. And because our sin is so great, God has every right to judge us. He created us. He charged us. We failed and He can judge us. We are under the wrath of God. We deserve to be punished. Paul writes in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Wages are earned, and by our sin we've earned death. This is our inheritance from our father Adam. This is the curse. The curse of sin and death. Paul in in Galatians 3.10, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. He writes, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things, underline all things, written in the book of the law and do them. All who do not obey the law at every point, all things are cursed. And remember the law includes among many other things, loving God with everything you've got. So I think it's clear, I hope it's clear, that we fail there. And that then we're subject to this curse of sin and death. And it gets worse. Sorry. I know that we have this hope up here. I mean, you're waiting for that. But it gets worse. We're not just talking about physical death, but eternal death an eternal separation from a holy God. Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica regarding the fate of those who don't know God. He says, Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. This does not sound good. And why am I telling you this? So we can establish our need. So that you don't walk out of here saying, I'm okay, you're okay. We're not okay. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Now that's where it really gets tough. If I have a need, and I have needs, and I can meet my own need with my own resources, then that's okay. I just go do that. If I'm hungry or thirsty, I I can open the fridge, I can go buy food, I can say, woman, no, I don't say that. Whoa. I don't say that. Unless I'm sick, then I say, chicken noodles, more please, chicken noodles. So if there were any way for me to take care of my own sin, that's my need, 
If, the, if that were possibility, if there was a possibility that I could obey this law, then my own need w- wouldn't be so great. But that's not the case. Scripture is clear. We're in no position to meet our own needs. Paul, Paul understood this. Paul, the apostle, in Romans 7.24, he wrote about himself, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The apostle, many Paul, the greatest Christian who's ever lived, Paul writes, wretched man that I am. Who will save me because I'm wretched and I can't save myself? This is the state we find ourselves in. Under sin and death and judgment, under the curse of the fall, and completely incapable of doing anything about it. We are in reality without hope. Now, if you don't see your need at this point, I can't help you. If you believe that you can deal with your own sin, then the promise, what we're going to talk about next, this promise of a Savior, doesn't mean anything to you. This promise given in the Word of God is not for you. It doesn't give you hope because you don't want that hope. But for those who realize their great need, those who realize their own inability to do anything about it, then Jesus Christ offers hope. Hope is received through Christ. It's our third point this morning. In, 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 the, in the last point, number two, we just talked about sort of hopelessness that I laid upon you. You might have noticed if you've read some of the verses that we've done, in, in many of the cases I didn't complete the verse. I didn't go on. Or I didn't read the next verse. I did this because the point was to show our great need. To show our hopeless condition if Christ didn't come without Christ. But now, now that our need's been established, we can look at the, the second part of these verses. And, and, I, and I pray that we begin to sigh and get some relief and some hope begins to come. In, the, in, this, con, in this context, we see that, that our hope comes through, through Christ alone. Remember we read 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die. As children of Adam, we're subject to the penalty of sin, which is death. We're without hope until you read on. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ, we're made alive. In Christ, we're not subject to eternal death because he's paid the penalty for our sin that we might live. And that gives us hope. Based on uh, some, some feeling, based on the Word of God. Romans 3.23, remember that? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us proves our relationship with Adam by our own sin. We glorify other things instead of God. We fall short of God's holy standard. But if you read on, Romans 3.24 says, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We sin, we fall short of God's glory, but because of grace, God's unmerited favor, His giving to us, irregardless, or regardless, irregardless isn't a word, throw that out, regardless of who we are, what we've done. God's grace falls upon us in Christ Jesus. Because He sent Jesus, because Jesus came, because Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, 
because Jesus has redeemed us. He's bought us back. That's what redeem means, to buy back, to purchase back. We were owned by sin and death, and Jesus bought us back and redeemed us. We're justified before God. We can now enter relationship with Him. This is our hope. Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death. It's our wages. We're without hope until we read the rest of the verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of wages, what we earn, we get a free gift. Instead of eternal death, eternal separation from God, we receive eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's what we hope for. Galatians 3.10 Remember, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Since we can never abide by all things written in the book, we can't even love God as He deserves, then we're under a curse. We're without hope until we read, a couple verses down, verse 13, Christ redeemed us bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Yes, we're under a curse, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, we're redeemed from the curse. We do not have to suffer the penalty of our curse. We're no longer under the law with its curse, but under grace with its love and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who, Paul asked the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're all wretched men and women. We're subject to the frailties of humanity, of of the sinful body, this flesh that we're stuck in. And in, in that state, we're subject to death. We're without hope until the answer to Paul's question comes in verse 25, who will deliver us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ delivers us from our wretched state. He frees us from our slavery to sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He enables us to overcome that that sin in our lives. He frees us from our past sin, enables us to overcome the sin in our lives. Thanks be to God. Our only hope comes through Jesus Christ. We sang, uh, our last song was The Solid Rock, written by Edward Mote, in this verse. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We've established the basis of our hope. The basis of our hope is the Word of God. The Word of God that promises that Jesus Uh, will come, has come, shows He has come, and that He will come again, and that He comes into our lives. We've established our need, our hopeless state without Christ, and we've established that hope comes in the form of Christ, that Christ gives us hope because of what He's promised us. The question is, for us this morning, is what is your hope built on? What is your hope built on? Is as the song asked, is your hope built on Christ or is your hope built on your own abilities, your good deeds, your intellect? I can figure this out. If that's the case, then Scripture is clear. Without Christ, you're under this curse. 
You're a slave to sin. You're a subject to eternal death. Without Christ, God has no, there's no, God's word has no hope for you. If this describes you, if, you, if you've not given yourself to Christ, if, if you've not cr- trusted in Christ alone, if your hope is not found in Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to come to Him. To turn, to, to repent. That's the, the Bible word, to repent. That just means to turn from what you're doing and turn to Him. To turn from your reliance on self and give yourself completely to Jesus Christ. If you're unsure of how to do that, then, then, then there are people here that would love to help you. Maybe someone you came with. I'd love to help you. After the service, there'll be people in the front if you want to come down and, and, and receive Christ, to, to trust in Christ, to put your hope in Christ. We'd love to help you with that. Now for those whose hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, and righteousness for those who've given themselves completely to Christ, who've trusted in Christ alone. Jesus, you would say, yes, Jesus is my Savior. Yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Then I, I'm going to reflect back on Philippians and I'm going to say, rejoice in the Lord. Seriously, celebrate Jesus. Because in Christ, you are no longer under the curse You've been set free from the power of sin. Christ has promised to come into your life today, over and over again. He'll come if you, if you like the church in Laodicea, kind of walk away a little bit. Christ will come back. He's still there knocking. Let me come in. He's promised to forgive your sin, to reconcile you with the Father. You realize Jesus is the bridge between the Father and us. promise to provide you with eternal life. Not eternal separation from God, but eternity in the presence of the Lord. If that's not cause for celebration, then nothing is. And I would encourage each one of us to celebrate the hope we've received. And to remember that, that, that it mean, what, what it means to celebrate. To praise and honor and glorify. Together, in just a moment, we're going to have, uh, have, a, have a chance to celebrate, to, to praise and honor, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in song. But our celebration of who Christ is and what He's done for us, the hope He gives for us, can't be finished when we leave here today. It has, we have to take it with us. We have to take it and experience it in every aspect of our life. As we go out throughout our week, we have to celebrate what Christ has done. And and part of that celebration, brothers and sisters, is to praise and honor Him. Not just in this place, but out there. That other people know the hope of Christ. That other people can have Christ as their hope. So give Him praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ, who is our great and only hope. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You. Uh, so much. We rejoice in You. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus. We rejoice in His coming. We honor You. We glorify You that, that in our hopeless state, Lord, you, you sent Jesus. Jesus is the coming of hope and You've given us hope. And Lord, we put our, our hope and our trust in You. Lord, if there are those here who haven't trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you would not let them leave this place without giving their lives to you, 
receiving that hope, being assured of the uh, eternity in your presence. Lord, that's our desire, that, that people, we, would, we would gain people into your kingdom for your honor and for your glory. Thank you again, Lord. We praise and honor your holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll just say next week, uh, come and join us. Next week, uh, we're going to celebrate the coming of, of peace in Christ. Thank you.